Comics. Comics. Welcome to the Omen Comics Podcast, where we talk about our experiences, influences, and tips on writing comics as the creators of the Omenverse. And as geeks, we often like to celebrate geek holidays, as well as talk about our favorite comics, television shows, and movies, too. I'm your host, Michael Nunley, and with me, as always, is my friend and co-worker, Steve Sellers. Today we're going to talk about The Terminator, the 1984 sci-fi classic that solidified Arnold Schwarzenegger as a leading man in Hollywood. And while James Cameron had also had worked on other films and scripts before that, um, making The Terminator really launched his career as well. Uh, Cameron directed The Terminator. He also uh, wrote the draft for the script, although the producer for the film, Gail Ann Hurd, suggested edits to the script. Um, I don't, according to Cameron, she didn't do any writing at all. Um, it was just like, you, you know, you might want to do this or change this little thing. And for some reason, she felt like she deserved writing credits for that. And uh, I don't know. She, at best, I think, I don't know, deserves a suggestion credit. <laughs> uh, to translate the draft into a script, Cameron enlisted his friend Bill Witcher who had a similar approach to storytelling, but he didn't just do uh, scripting. Um, Cameron also gave Wisher the scene in uh, the police department with Sarah Connor and the police to write. So uh, he, he did contribute to the actual story segment there. Uh, now, as far as uh, casting goes, uh, there's an interesting story about Schwarzenegger. Um, it appears that Schwarzenegger was originally uh, called up to play the character Kyle Reese. And Cameron didn't like the idea, uh, didn't think he was good for the role, and didn't really want to uh, meet with him at all. And apparently tried to get out of the meeting, but ended up being forced into going. So after reluctantly meeting with Schwarzenegger, uh, he actually uh, found that he was uh, quite taken with Schwarzenegger as... Uh, Arnold was all uh, enthusiastic uh, about about the Terminator himself and how he should talk and how he should act and how he should move and stuff. And uh, uh, Cameron was inspired by this. And actually, in uh, try to picture this: a guy of Cameron's size telling Arnold Schwarzenegger to shut up for a minute. Um, <laughs> but he did he did say that, and um, Arnold ag actually agreed, which is weird because Arnold talks a lot. Um, but uh, Arnold was quoted saying after seeing the drawing, uh, I am the fucking Terminator. Uh, and he, he, he was immediately sold on playing the Terminator at that point. And uh, so was Cameron. And we're glad he did because, boy, did he sell us on the role. Uh, if, he had, if he had played Kyle Reese, that would have been a very serious miscast, in my opinion. Um, oddly enough, I found this interesting. Uh, Cameron mentions that uh, somehow even Arnold's uh, accent worked in the film. Like somehow it added something to the to the character that, that couldn't have been there before. Uh, 
Um, but Arnold was not the only great casting uh, credit in that one. Uh, the Terminator also introduced us to Lindel ha Linda Hamilton, uh, a.k.a. Sarah Connor, who became quite the badass, especially by the time T2 came out. But I love that even in the original film, it was the pretty blonde waitress with no military experience that can't even balance her checkbook that kills the Terminator, not the soldier or the police. Pure badass. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I will say, uh, James Cameron gave us some of the best uh, sci-fi heroines uh, in, in science fiction movie history. And I would say Sarah Connor is definitely among the best of them. I think she stands up there with Ellen Ripley, who he also handled in Alien. So, I mean, Cameron definitely knows uh, how, to, how to do these kinds of characters. And, um, and I would say it was very uh, revolutionary. I mean, it was a big sea change towards the later model of strong heroines in film that we see today. Uh, but I think what, what really sets her apart and what makes her so interesting is not just the toughness, but the fact that she's vulnerable, uh, she's flawed, you know, she makes mistakes. And then, you know, she's even emotionally damaged uh, because of everything she suffers from the first film. I mean, she's traumatized. I mean, she definitely suffers from PTSD. Uh, so she wasn't uh, perfect and she was better for it. And, and this is why we love her. I think, I think one of the things uh, that, that makes her particularly lovable is that we can relate to all that. I mean, how could you not, after going through what Sarah went through in that first film, after getting the revelation of what the future held and her, her son and what all this stuff meant, uh, how could that not uh, break somebody a little bit? You know what I mean? That your whole perception of life on Earth is, is forever changed. Uh, but I, I, like, I, I like how you put that. Um, and I'd like to add to that that John Connor really was only great because of Sarah Connor. Um, you know, Reese didn't train Sarah. Uh, you know, he got the ball rolling. He showed her a couple things. But Sarah sought out her own training. And knowing who her son had to be, she made herself a weapon of war to prepare him. And as you pointed out, she was flawed and broken. She was, you know, just a woman trying to make it in America and pay her bills as a waitress. You know, maybe go out on a date on Friday night to see her transform into that frightened, uh, weak-willed woman to Terminator Killer was uh, awesome. I mean, that was you, it almost makes the hairs on my on my arms stand up talking about it. I mean, that's the kind of journey I want to see in characters. That's why she ranks so high on the badass scale for me. Uh, it was her journey that really did it. Um, now. The film, The Terminator, uh, was actually critically bashed um, uh, before it was released. But in that first uh, two weeks at the box office in 1984, it topped the box office. Um, and, and what's more, in 2008, the Library of Congress entered The Terminator into the National Film Registry as, and I quote, culturally, historically, and aesthetically significant. Um, it also went on to spawn several sequels, comics, novels, and video games. But before we get into that, um, we need to talk a little bit about the the creation of the Terminator universe. Um, now, James Cameron uh, had had some influences uh, from the the show from from various shows and and films. Uh, he talks about, um, but he he claims that uh, he you know basically the idea is his own, 
And there's a, a rather uh, famous and old school writer named Harlan Ellison who would disagree. Uh, but let's get into why. Um, now, James Cameron said uh, originally he had had a dream about like a metallic torso holding kitten knives, like dragging itself from an explosion. I don't know about you, I can totally picture that torso chasing after Sarah in that scene just from that description. But um, anyway, uh, Cameron said that uh, uh, inspired by John Carpenter's low-budget Halloween film in 1978, he wrote up the first uh, draft for the film, thinking that he could also do a, a low-budget sci-fi film. Um, but the dream was far from his only influence on the story. Cameron's influences included uh, 1950s science fiction films, uh, the 1960s fantasy television series, The Outer Limits, uh, specifically Harlan Ellison's stories, uh, Soldier and Demon with a Glass Hand, according to Ellison, but more soldier than Demon with a Glass Hand. Um, the stuff taken from Demon with a Glass Hand um, was minute by comparison to the stuff taken to Soldier. Um, with Demon with a Glass Hand, you're talking about there was time travel involved in that story, so they have that in common. Uh, humans being wiped out in the future, they have that in common. Um, and, you know, that kind of apocalyptic wasteland type of a deal, they had that in common. Um, but Cameron's other influences were contemporary films of his day, such as uh, The Driver in 1978 um, and Mad Max 2 in 1981, who showed similar dismal fates for humans. Um, but despite all of that, um, Harlan Ellison sued Cameron for totally ripping off his story Soldier and won a settlement from Orion Pictures as it was painfully obvious that uh, Cameron's work was all but plagiarism. Uh, and we'll get into why here. Um, now in, Sol in Soldier, uh, the Outer Limits uh, script, uh, you're dealing with two soldiers, 1,800 years in the future, are fighting each other on a battlefield, and a random energy weapon strikes both of them, and they are hurled into a time vortex. Uh, one soldier is trapped in the matrix of time, and the other, Carlo Gobregni, materializes on the city street in the United States in the year 1964. Now, in Terminator 2, two soldiers, Reese and the Terminator, go back in time to the year 1984. Uh, so they have, they have those things in common. Now, in Soldier, Carlo is soon captured, and Carlo, the, the guy from the future who uh, was not trapped in the time vortex, uh, is soon captured and interrogated by a man named Kagan, and uh, Carlo's original uh, origin is, is discovered. Uh, but first, Carlo repeats over and over again, my name is Carlo Gabregni, uh, Private R-M-E-N-T-N-D-O, his name, rank, and serial letters, which is what any soldier would reveal if captured by the enemy. Uh, now, in Terminator, you'll notice Reese was also captured by the police, and he was interrogated, and he, too, repeated his name, rank, and serial number over and over again to Dr. Peters. Peter Silberman, and uh, P Silberman eventually got his origin out of Reese. Now, 
In Soldier, Carlo has been trained for one purpose, to kill the enemy, and that is all he knows. Uh, in Terminator, this aspect kind of applies both to Reese and to the Terminator. Uh, to the Terminator, because uh, as Reese talks about in the movie, uh, all the Terminator knows is his mission. That's all he's going to do is kill his enemy. Uh, that's what he does. And uh, in that in that same aspect, you know, all he all. Uh, the soldier knew was to kill the enemy and that was all he knew uh, but it applies to the to the Reese character in the sense that you know Reese grew up during the war and all he knew was war uh, so in that sense it kind of talks about him as well um, now in Soldier, after a short time in captivity, uh, Carlo comes to live with the Kagan family uh, despite the reluctance expressed by Tom Kagan's government associates now in Terminator um Oh, first let me let me uh, let me note here. Uh, Carlo uh, ended up bonding uh, rather closely with the Kagan family, um, and it ended up becoming a big part of uh, the climax of his story. Uh, so in Terminator, we see that uh, Kyle goes back in time, and he too bonds with somebody from that time period, um, and ends up giving up his life uh, to save her. Um, so they had they they have that in common, uh, but what, I, I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. Um, in Soldier, uh, eventually the time Eddie holding the enemy soldier weakens, and he materializes materializes fully, and he goes to the Kagan home, and him and Carlo battle it out, and it appears that they kill each other. Um, but it, the, it, the question is posed whether Carlo sacrificed his life to kill the enemy or to save Kagan, the Kagan family he had become attached to. Um, this ending clearly influenced the ending of the film uh, as Reese and the Terminator basically have it out hand-to-hand. -hand. Well, Reese had a pipe, but you get my point. And uh, they, uh, they apparently kill each other when Reese puts that dynamite or whatever into uh, the torso of the Terminator and uh, it kills Reese and it looks like it kills the Terminator but Cameron threw in a little twist there uh, where Connor kills the Terminator instead. Oh yeah, I, I have to say that um, everything that you're saying adds up to me and I will say I remember the legal dispute over this and I also remember that Harlan Ellison was forced to be credited in the film because his influence on the story was just so obvious and they just even basically ruled in his favor. Uh, but at the same time, I will say I think Terminator has become its own thing over time, uh, particularly uh, since the first film and it has evolved into something different. Um, that having been said, I have a huge respect for Harlan Ellison, uh, mainly because he wrote my favorite Star Trek episode, City on the Edge of Forever. Uh, Preach, brother. Absolutely. <laughs> so, so am I surprised that he had an indirect hand in, in other pop culture things like Terminator? No, not really. And it also really lines up with what I know of Ellison's themes. I mean, he really uh, did not have a favorable view of humanity. And he showed that in so, many, uh, so much of his work. Um, so he wrote often about humanity's self-destructive tendencies um, and its tendency to blow itself up in a uh, nuclear holocaust. Uh, that came up a lot, uh, particularly in uh, A Boy and His Dog, which became a film with uh, Ron Johnson, I believe. And uh, I have no mouth and I must scream. Um, 
particularly comes to mind because that was a story about a self-aware computer named Am uh, that hates humanity. And there is a whole diatribe that is legendary about uh, Am going on about why he hates humans, and it, it is epic. Uh, so am I surprised uh, that, that he, you know, maybe that might have influenced Cameron? No, not at all. Um, and I will say that um, I could easily see Ellison have written a story like Terminator himself. It is absolutely the kind of thing that he has written about. And um, I, I could see where he would have been, uh, shall we say, annoyed with Cameron for not having credited him for it. You know, uh, I actually hadn't heard that thing about uh, I have no mouth and I must scream. You're you're right. That's totally Skynet. I don't see how you could see that in another way. And a little a little side note, uh, I happened to, to notice why you were you were describing that this time, that the computer's name was Am. Mm -hmm. um, God refers to himself as I am. And I wonder yeah. if the computer also referred to himself in that fashion. Yes, he does. It, it is a deliberate reference. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. Um, so Ellison did say that he loved the Terminator film, actually. Uh, he was just perturbed about the obvious similarities with his works, which Cameron still isn't happy about to this day. Um, he refused to acknowledge Ellison uh, until Orion Studios told Cameron that, okay, we will uh, we will not take the settlement, but when Harlan Ellison sues us, you're going to have to pay him. And Cameron felt kind of forced, uh, so he did it. But to this day, uh, he he's not happy about it. Well, I can understand that on, on, on his side, but you know, uh, if you're going to take the ideas and and it's that obvious, I think you got to credit him. So, but uh, that wasn't Cameron's only dispute that he had. I seem to recall he also had a dispute with Arnold Schwarzenegger over a certain line that has entered uh, pop culture. Uh, what do you know about that? Ah, yes, the I'll be back line. Uh, Schwarzenegger actually tried to have that, uh, that iconic line changed as he had, well, one, he had a difficulty pronouncing the, the contraction all, uh, but also he felt that, um, like, uh, you'll notice Roddenberry did with data that the robotic character would not speak in contractions and that the Terminator would be more declarative. Uh, Cameron refused to make the change to the line uh, to I will be back. Uh, so Schwarzenegger worked on saying the line uh, as best he could. But he would later say the line in numerous films throughout his career. Yeah, I have to agree with Cameron on this one, especially since uh, unlike a, a character like Data, who you know would have done that, um, Terminator was designed to blend in with humanity. So you know it makes sense that he would you know be designed to use contractions. I, I think uh, that actually makes sense, and it's for the best because you know I, you can't imagine Arnold not saying the line. You know, "I'll be back" is pretty much his iconic catchphrase now, and you just can't get away from that. Right. It's actually kind of funny. He he hated the line, and people just kept paying him to say it. Um, it's uh, it, it's like uh, uh, Robert Smith uh, writing that song "Friday I'm in Love" for the Cure, and he absolutely hated uh, performing it, but people just kept paying him to do it. <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah, I do agree. As an infiltration unit, um, he would have uh, been designed to speak. Uh, like normal humans, it wouldn't have had that. I, I don't think, uh, I think that a computer, uh, the AI Skynet would have been able to 
realized that that would make them very easy to pick out. Just look for the guy not using contractions. In fact, all humans just speak in contractions, <laughs> right? That's yeah. how easy that would be. Um, interesting little tidbit um, about the final scene of the movie. Uh, you know, where Sarah is driving off into the distance uh, in the desert, uh, you know, and the and the music starts rolling and everything. Uh, that actually was filmed without a permit, hmm. uh, which which is not uh, not good, actually. <laughs> um, according to the documentary I watched, in fact, um, uh, Cameron and Heard uh, convinced an officer uh, who had confronted them while they were filming the scene that they were US, uh, UCLA students making a film. <laughs> uh, but... Uh, my 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 understanding is that uh, actually this was not the only scene uh, that was done in this fashion. Um, there were other scenes, like for instance, uh, the scene where Arnold uh, goes to that first Sarah Connor's house. Mm. Uh, that scene was was felt like was filmed like practically on the fly. They just pulled up, waited for a lull in traffic, and shot it. <laughs> Wow, I, I'm amazed that any of this actually worked. Uh, but I, I'm guessing it probably only worked because Cameron wasn't yet the huge star that he was today, so he could get away with, you know, doing this kind of stuff, and nobody would have known who he was or what he was doing. Um, right. It, it certainly would not have worked after Terminator One, and especially since Cameron's stardom would only be confirmed uh, with a lot of his '80s films, uh, Aliens, particularly, um, you know, The Abyss, and, and some of the other stuff he did in the '80s. Um, but I will say this, a Terminator 2 film was something that uh, he had plans for, and he did eventually return to it, but he didn't do it, like, right away. Um, you know, it wasn't until 1991 that he got back to this. Uh, but, but you know, it was something that the anticipation of this was huge. And and if you were there, you, you kind of remember the electricity, you know, that was building up to it. I mean, the marketing was all over the place. I mean, you had, you know, Guns N' Roses, You Will Be Mine all over the place. And, you know, I remember Terminator 2 being the movie that we always wanted to see that year. And, and it really did leave up to the hype in that respect. Um, so I think we'll get into uh, Terminator 2 uh, Judgment Day and, 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 and just, you know, what exactly happened with that. Um, and I will say it's the only sequel that most Terminator fans generally acknowledge and agree on as canon. Like all the other stuff, you know, there are always disagreements about, you know, which one you like better, but not with Terminator 2. That one is just as everybody's canon as the first one. Um, and, and in terms of where the characters uh, start off, uh, Tara Connor is in a mental institution, um, you know, being treated by Silverman. Uh, John Connor is a rebellious teenager who's stealing from ATMs, and he's been jumping from foster home and foster home because, uh, he, you know, Sarah's not, you know, kind of allowed to raise him. Uh, and, and all of this changes uh, for them waiting up to Judgment Day when a T-800, Arnold Schwarzenegger, is reprogrammed and sent back in time by John's future self to protect himself in the past. Uh, so uh, the Terminator is now uh, a different character, uh, which is a the T-1000, um, played by Robert Patrick, and he is great in this, um, as a shapeshifter who is made of living metal. And that uh, performance by Patrick is iconic as well. I mean, he absolutely got the coldness and the metalness of the T-1000 perfectly. You know, he seems like a machine that will not stop. Uh, but at the same time, he has a different kind of physicality from Arnold. And I, and I think it really, really works. 
Uh, interesting tidbit about that. Uh, Cameron's original idea for the first film was to send back two Terminators two Terminators, one of them made out of uh, liquid metal, not a human like in the Terminator. Uh, this was something that he actually got to revisit and do in Terminator 2. I, I think that that actually makes sense because it, it really kind of feels like it builds on the first movie. Um, and also, I'm kind of wondering whether Cameron kind of held off on it because uh, the technology wasn't there yet. Um, once we got to the early 90s, I mean, we had uh, those those uh, morphing effects. Uh, and, and, and I will say Terminator 2 pioneered that. So um, it really kind of makes sense uh, for that to have taken place. Um, according, but, according to what I uh, looked up, um, the issue was budget. Uh, they they went they had some ideas as for what they were going to do for the whole liquid metal thing, but it was just way over budget. Uh, yeah, well, of course, and and yeah, and that explains why the budget for this film was so high. But we'll kind of get into that. Um, but beyond that, I will say one of the things that's great about this movie is the character development in this film. Like all of the three leads uh, grow and they change, and and by the end, and it feels satisfying. Uh, so the T-800 uh, learns to understand humanity because of the influence of the younger John, you know, enough where he's willing to sacrifice himself for humanity. And I'm kind of wondering if that plays a little bit into the themes uh, that he took from Ellison, but it's not as obvious in this case. Um, John Connor grows and matures because of uh, Arnold's fatherly influence on him. I mean, you can definitely tell that they are bonding as a father and son uh, through the course of the film, and it's great. Um, and, and because of that, John uh, starts to become the leader that he has to be in the future. You know, we start to see signs of, of him taking charge a little more um, and, and, you know, moving past this wild, reckless phase that he had uh, in the beginning of the film. And then finally, Sarah, we begin to see that she's really messed up. I mean, she is really broken and damaged because of Reese's death, uh, because, you know, she's been separated from her son um, and because uh, she's absolutely traumatized by the future that we know that she's going to be dealing with. So um, this, the movie is about her learning to move past her fear and trauma, find hope in humanity again, and reconnect with her son, which she does. And, and so all these characters, you know, have a very clear arc. Um, you know, and I have a I have a mildly off topic point there. Yeah. Um, when Sarah really reaches that uh, that that belief in humanity, when that starts is when she goes in to kill the Dyson, uh, yeah. uh, kill Miles Dyson. Mm -hmm. And he she sees that he's uh, just a man with a family and children that love him. And she's mm -hmm. terrifying them. Uh, it it. It somehow it humanizes him, and she's not able to do that. It's it's she suddenly sees a value in that again. Yeah, because and, and I and I think that's probably because she's looking at it as as a mother would. Uh, you know, she's like, okay, I can't kill somebody else's family just to save mine. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, all all of this stuff works. Um, the the film also inspired, in addition to that, uh, a number of pop culture memes at the time. And I would say the the quote that beyond I'll be back uh, that is up there in Terminator lore is "Hasta la vista, baby," uh, which is the best remembered. And and even to this day, I mean, you still see it occasionally referenced, uh, even though it was kind of you know done to death at one point. Um, and 
And in addition to that, you know, we start to see like, you know, the different possibilities for the future of Terminator. Uh, one of them was actually an alternate ending that was shot and was cut from the film. Um, in this one, uh, Sarah is in the future um, as an old woman, and she's at the playground with John and her granddaughter uh, in a timeline where Judgment Day never happens. Uh, so we you, we get to see that, you know, the faith that she has in humanity is validated and she gets to heal, uh, and, and John as well. So, you know, if, if you want to see that as being the ending, you totally can. Um, that, you know, it's no more or less valid than anything else, but we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that later, too. Um, it was a huge advance in terms of CGI effects, uh, the morphing effects of the T-1000 we talked about, and that, you know, paved the way for similar CGI in later films. Um, you know, it was definitely, when you think of, of morphing effects, uh, and you definitely think of the T-1000 shapeshifting, you just can't get away from that. Um, but as you said, a lot of this was the budget. It was the most expensive film uh, ever made at the time. And it cost somewhere from $94 million to $102 million. And it probably was. A lot of it was the CGI effects that they paid for that. Um, but it more than earned this money back, uh, actually, it earned like five times the expense uh, at $520 million. So it was the highest grossing film of 1991. And it remains to this day the top grossing film of Arnold Schwarzenegger's career, and deservedly so. I mean, it's it's a great movie. It has become a beloved classic over the years. It's done so for a reason. Everything works about this movie, you know, and it's just one of those that you can still go back and watch and just, you know, have a great time with it. And it's definitely one of the all-time best uh, films that Arnold's ever been in. Without a doubt, uh, is one of Arnold's best films. I would put it right up there next to Predator and Total Recall. And, uh, oh my God, do I remember the Hasta La Vista quotes. Uh, holy crap. Uh, I, I, there was a point where I started wanting to hit people whenever they said that. <laughs> uh, it was like everyone was saying it. Uh, but I would add to that, there are many who believe uh, T2 to be the best sequel ever made. And I have a hard time arguing with that. But as Cameron has proved, he is the master of the sequel. Oh, definitely. I mean, Aliens as well, you know, was a great sequel. Um, I don't know if I would put Terminator 2 as like the all-time best. I, I think it probably was for its time. Um, but I would say like later films have definitely, you know, found a way to, to push past it, particularly with films like The Dark Knight. But I will say Terminator 2 belongs in the upper echelons of great sequels, no question about it. Um, and he definitely, definitely um, is great at making sequels uh, between the, the main movies that he's made. So, yeah, he cemented himself as one of the all-time best uh, in that respect. <laughs> but unfortunately, the good times were could not roll forever and, you know, the time moves on. Um, there was not another Terminator film for a long time. I think a lot of people thought that it was never going to continue, that, you know, Cameron had ended it at T2 and things were not going to move forward again. But there were always plans to. Um, Cameron did originally have plans for that, and that leads into Terminator 3 Rise of the Machines. Um, and I have to say, it, Cameron's absence in this film is noticeable, um, but it's not that bad of a movie but there's just one thing about this movie that the first time I saw this made me so mad. Um, and it's not because it's a bad action film. It's, it's actually all right. Like, you know, you, you enjoy like the things that are going on and, and the explosions and, and, and the Terminator uh, fights and all that. that, all that is fine. 
there's just one big problem with it, and that is that it completely betrays the core te themes of Terminator 2. And and that's just one thing I can't look past. They, they, they went from a movie that uh, focused on hope, free will, uh, and no fate with what we make, and then T3 decides, nope, we're going to backtrack on that. Judgment Day is inevitable, and no matter what anybody does, it's going to happen. And all of your best efforts to try to change it, yeah, that didn't happen. You know, we're going to have the nukes, and we're going to have the machines, and we're going to have Skynet. I couldn't believe it. Well, you know, I got to say, though, it's not totally accurate. Um, T2 actually hinted at the same philosophy. If you remember when uh, John and the Terminator were working on the car at the rest stop, they saw those two boys uh, playing with their two toy guns saying, I killed you, I got you, I got you. And John asks, uh, you know, we're not going to make it, are we? And the Terminator replies, uh, it's in your nature to destroy yourselves. Yeah, I, I see where you're coming from. Uh, at the same time, I kind of looked at that scene to mean that uh, this was always a warning. Like, uh, humanity's self-destructive tendency is something we always have to resist and watch out for because it's always there under the surface. But that said, it's not a foregone conclusion. And T2 just point out, you know, you we yeah, there is hope to, to change things. Um, I think my real bone with T3 is that it posits that we will succumb you know that we are that it's fated to happen rather than just being a warning and we have the choice of changing it or not um and and i will say the thing that gets me is that there's such an air of fatalism around this movie and it that kind of defeats the purpose and it basically says well you know if nothing can be done to stop judgment day and if humanity's always going to destroy itself you know then why bother and and I, I don't know that's not a message that i really particularly care for there is definitely a fatalistic view in T3. I will give you that. Um, but I, I have two counterpoints about it being futile to resist. Uh, as the movie shows, it was in fact the act of resisting uh, that put Connor where he needed to be at the end of that film to lead those who survived. It, it, had, he, had, he not, uh, had he not chose to try and, and end it, uh, he, he wouldn't have been there. He would have died with everyone else. Um, so, I mean, I, I guess I think uh, fate plays a different role in that part. Um, and also, I think many would rather die fighting than to live on their knees. Yeah, I, I will say that that's a fair interpretation of things if you want to look at it that way. I, I think what was going on is they were trying to take like a Greek tragedy view of prophecy. Uh, like if you think about Oedipus Rex where, you know, everything happens the way it's prophesized because he knows about it. And because he knows about it, you know, he's doing all the things that lead to that. And I think they were trying to take that approach with it. Um, it it's an interesting view. It's not the way I prefer to see it, but it's an interesting view. But, you know, as a possible future, I guess it's fair enough. I'm... I'm um, I can kind of go along uh, with that. It's just, you know, it's just not the way I like it. But it's it, not everything has to be the way I like. So, yeah, it's fine. <laughs> um, beyond that, I think the movie also undermines the sacrifice a little bit of the Arnold from T2. Um, and, and I have to say, I kind of always got the sense, like, he destroys himself for nothing. You know, you, so it's like, okay, he sacrifices himself for, what, a few years uh, of non-self-destruction? Uh, non okay, I Yes. Right. Um, actually, I I always thought that, like, if you remember uh, Miles Dyson, uh, all he had was he had the CPU chip and he had the hand, right? Mm. 
And then you'll notice in T2 when uh, the term when the T800 was fighting the T1000, his arm got caught in that crank, you know, and he had to stick the pipe in there and bust his arm off. Um, that got stuck in there while he was fighting, and so uh, they would at least have that hand, even if he, you know, melted the CPU. Mm. Uh, I actually had almost forgotten about that scene uh, for a long time, uh, but I I, I kind of remember it now. Uh, I don't know. Um, the last time I kind of went and saw through this, it, it seemed like that hand was pretty thoroughly crushed, like enough where I don't know how you would be able to reassemble anything from that. It was just it was like right under this this gear crank and it just absolutely trashed it. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm kind of wondering if it's possible that Cameron had done that intentionally because he had wanted to do uh, T3 himself and that was kind of the seed he was planting for it. So you, you never know. It, it could be that you're right about that, but uh, it. It, it it looks pretty thoroughly destroyed, but you know anything's possible in movies, I guess. I um, always took it that way that 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 was Cameron's plan. It was a little you know in case I want to do a sequel later thing. Yeah, I, that seems likely. Um, and and I will say that in fairness, I, I would look at Terminator Three now as a possible future where Judgment Day happens. It's not an inevitable outcome because nothing is inevitable with Terminator, especially with how many times this series has been rebooted. So it's like if you want to see a fatalistic ending, that's fine. If you want to see a happy ending, you have the alternate ending from T two. So you're 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 covered whichever way you want to look at it. Um, my only thing, though, is I would say is, in general, I'm not a big fan of coming into a sequel and then making the theme the exact opposite of the best regarded movie in the franchise. I just, It's just one of those where, like, you know, there's going to be audience whiplash for that, and that's not really something I'm crazy about. But we can kind of move on from that. Um, I think that T3 does work reasonably well for what it is. I think that as an action film, it's, it's perfectly fine. Um, you know, we can debate the ending, but there's certainly a lot of good points to the to the movie. It's not as good as T2, I and mean, it's not as good as T1 even, but I, I think it's perfectly fine. And part of the reason for that was because it introduced the first female Terminator model, the TX, uh, played by Kristana Loken. I, I will say I liked her in this movie. Like, I mean, it was kind of like one of those things where if it were done today, I think some people would probably roll their eyes uh, because this is something that's done so often now. But back then, it was actually a very new idea. And, and I think for what it did, it worked. And I think Loken's performance is really good. Um, they do kind of play her up, you know, for you know, in terms of her sexuality, uh, particularly in that one scene uh, with the cop where she's trying to get the cop to let her go. Um, I'm like, yeah, that's a little brazen. And I think if they tried to do that today, people would be howling about it, uh, and probably for good reason. But at the same time, you got to appreciate a character who is empowered enough that she's in control of that. She knows what effect she has on people and what her physicality does to people. And she uses it to get closer to her targets and kill them. Um, you know, she completely gets the cold ruthlessness of the Terminator. And I liked the design. Um, I just thought that the red leather outfit really worked. I thought the slick back hair really worked. I mean, she just really, really looks good um, in this role. And, and the way that she plays it is, is really good too. And she's not like you just your typical Terminator where all I care about is killing John Connor. No, you know, she goes after like everybody that Skynet deems a threat uh, to its existence. And so she starts killing these other guys that grow up to be resistance members um, that are teenagers. And she just shoots them in the head. Um, it's just absolutely really, really good. I, I love the way that this character worked. Uh, uh, I would say overall, the TX is probably one of the brighter spots of this movie. Um, now... 
uh, Sarah Connor is dead by this time. Um, and I, I think probably it's because they couldn't afford Lyndall Hamilton. Uh, they couldn't get her for some, some reason, but I think it probably was uh, budget problems. Um, they also recast John Connor. Um, I don't know if they had a problem with Edward Furlong. I know Furlong had, uh, you know, problems. Uh, he was, you know, he was certainly on substances and, and things like that. So I don't know if it was that. I don't know if it was just they needed another actor uh, to play an older Connor that was convincing. But either way, uh, they ended up recasting him and they got a guy named Nick Stahl, who's all right. I, I wouldn't say that, you know, he's bad or anything. I mean, he, he fits the role reasonably well and he goes through the motions well. Um, you you might have a little bit of time, like, physically distinguishing him for Furlong, but I think it's fine. Um, they, the one thing that they had that is consistent, though, is Arnold. Um, he is a new uh, T-800 that's sent back to, by the Resistance. I guess they had, like, several models, and they just sent him back, um, you know, different time periods. It's okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, we're going to send this Arnold and this Arnold and this Arnold. Yeah, so, yeah. They, they did that. So, it's fine, you know? You got to have Arnold. You know, you, you'll love him. And this is probably, like, the last film where I would say that Arnold was really vibrant. Um, so yeah, they, they got the most out of him, uh, before he became governor of California and, you know, they got their money worth. So I can't complain about that. Um, and then beyond that, uh, we got a new character who, who is, uh, somebody who was a veterinarian and a daughter of a general involved with the Skynet defense program. Uh, and her name was Kate Brewster and she was played by Claire Danes. And this was when, you know, Claire Danes was a thing. Uh, I, I think she kind of faded, uh, in later years, but, um, definitely at this time, this was kind of like where she was a new hotness. And, 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 and I will say she worked in the role. Absolutely no problem with that. Um, and I think she was kind of meant to take over the, the Sarah Connor relationship in that she had a relationship with uh, John in that sense. But also in terms of like being the uh, young uh, woman who steps up and becomes a badass. Uh, so like, OK, she's a, she absolutely plugs in that role and she's fine. I'm not hugely memorable, but she's fine. Um, you and know, eventually you got to you got to watch how you say that. This isn't back to the future. Uh. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I didn't mean it in that sense, but if you want, <laughs> if you want to see her that way, I'm not going to complain. Um, yeah, she was she was good in the role, is what I meant. To say. Um, but yeah, she ends up as uh, John's main love interest. Um, she ends up as his wife uh, in in Salvation. So you know, there's definitely she's definitely a character who's meant to have uh, significance, and you know, she she just she does what she needs to. Um, but while T three is an okay action movie, uh, you can definitely tell that there's like a flatness and there's a lower energy in this film compared to T one and T two, um, almost like it's kind of going through the motions and it knows it. Um, and and I think the loss of Cameron is really noticeable um, because of this. So they 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 hadn't figured out you know how uh, to make these films work without him, and I think they were almost reinventing the wheel uh, with a new director. Um, and, and I will say, probably a lot of it stems from uh, behind-the-scenes problems. Um, he, Cameron did initially want to t do T3, and then he took a step back eventually. Uh, and part of the problem was uh, Carol Co. Pictures, which did T2, went bankrupt <laughs> during this time. So the co-producers, um, uh, Kassar and Vajna, bought up the rights to Terminator, and, and they didn't tell Cameron that they were doing this. Um, so what ended up happening oh. is they ended up spending a lot of money on, on, on the rights and uh, because they were very costly. And on top of that, Arnold was expensive because he was worth $25 million at the time. Uh, 
And but it, it didn't end up well. And and when Cameron found out, this actually led down uh, to a breakdown between Cameron's friendship with the co-producers um, because he wasn't told. So he was kind of mad about this. Um, but it wasn't just that. I mean, he was also pretty busy with Titanic, which ended up being a much bigger deal. Um, and another film that became the biggest film of all time uh, back then and is still one of the highest uh, grossing films of all time today. Uh, so, yeah, Cameron was doing what he was doing, and um, Arnold tried to persuade him. I mean, he did his best to bring him in, but, you know, Cameron's like, you know what, I already told the story I wanted to tell with T2. Uh, well, nah, you can go ahead and do that, and you, and I hope you make a lot of money, but no. So this led to uh, Jonathan Mastow uh, directing the film and uh, new screenwriters being involved with the script. Man, if writers had a dollar for every producer that ever screwed up their film, they wouldn't need producers. Uh, <laughs> T3 definitely didn't have that Cameron feel to it. And, and honestly, that that's the magic that makes the franchise work. Yeah, very, very much so. But I will say there was a, a TV show that definitely had that magic, uh, even though Cameron wasn't directly involved. And that was Terminator, the Sarah Connor Chronicles. I love this show. I love it a lot. Um, it, it debuted on Fox, and it lasted for only two seasons, and it should have gone longer, darn it. Um, and in that respect, it's often uh, compared to Firefly, uh, another popular uh, science fiction show that was canceled way too soon. Although at least uh, Sarah Connor Chronicles got a second season. Firefly didn't even get that. Um, but there's one other reason why it's compared a lot, and that is uh, both uh, were starring uh, Summer Glau, in key roles on the show. Um, you know, she was River Tam on Firefly and she was Cameron on Sarah Connor Chronicles. So she was mixed up in both of them. I, I feel bad for her, honestly, that she had these two huge breakout roles and they only lasted like a season or two. Uh, and that really stuck for her. Um, and, and, and this is kind of the show that kind of started the trend of we're only going to acknowledge Terminator 1 and Terminator 2. It completely ignores uh, T3. Uh, and after that, it's pretty much its own timeline. Uh, same as the as T3 and Salvation is its own timeline. This is its own separate thing. Um, so uh, you, you may uh, know the main star of playing Sarah Connor, the, the, and, and that is Lena Headey, uh, Cersei Lannister herself. Uh, she was Sarah oh, yeah. Connor, and she was excellent. Um, I, I would definitely have no problems with her. She understood you know, the idea that she was playing a single mother struggling to raise a son on her own. And, and in addition to preparing him for a life that she knows has been planned out for him in advance. And, and the way that she plays it is excellent. Um, and Summer Glau, as we mentioned, was Cameron, who is a reprogrammed Terminator uh, who kind of fulfills the Arnold role in this. So she is the second female Terminator uh, in the history of the franchise. Um, and, and she was, of course, named after James Cameron. It was definitely, you definitely see throughout this show that there are a lot of little nods to James Cameron. And you can definitely tell the people behind it had a lot of love for the original movies and for what Cameron did. So you know, hats off to them for that. Uh, the story starts in 1999, and then in the pilot, uh, they jump into the future eight years later. So they actually go in and time travel. They find a cache uh, in a bank, and they break into a bank, uh, go into the vault, and then they build a time machine, and then they jump to 2007. It, it is really, really well done. Uh, the, the focus of the story, though, is, is on Sarah basically being a single mother, uh, raising her while also trying to protect him from the Terminators in the future war and preparing him for that. Uh, and, and I like the, the family angle to it. I feel like that gives it a lot of heart. 
Um, the, the relationship between John and Sarah in the show is generally uh, more positive than we see in T2. I mean, they were much more strained there. Um, but Sarah is pretty secretive with him. I mean, she definitely has things that, you know, she doesn't tell him. And, you know, she kind of, like, expects him to kind of jump when she, she says jump. Um, and he, and John kind of resents it at times because she, he kind of feels like he should be in the loop. But at the same time, they come together as a family. They love each other. They have some definite uh, bonding moments between each other. And it, it really is great to see that that is really the heart of the show. Um, Cameron was a breakout character as well, as you might expect. Um, and she did fulfill the, the role similar to the T-800. Uh, she was a little bit more advanced. Uh, she had little things like, you know, she could actually have food uh, and eat and things like that. So, you know, I think they just kind of wanted to explain, you know, certain things, why, you know, the actress is kind of doing more human things than you would expect a Terminator to do. Um, but it was fine. I, th I thought that it worked. I really liked her in that role, so it was good. Um, but one thing that really set uh, the Sarah Connor Chronicles apart, it shows the future war and how it's fought back in time on both sides. So it's not just that the war is just about killing John Connor. There is a whole battlefield going on through time that we see. Um, we see pockets of the resistance in various places in the show. Um, you know, there are secret caches, there are secret safe houses in the past, and you see, you know, resistance members in the past that are dead and, and things like this. So both the humans and the Terminators have uh, agents in the past, and they are trying to kill each other so that they win the, the war in the future, um, which I thought was a really great idea. Um, and it also occasionally shows uh, glimpses of uh, the future war as well, and it connects it to the present narrative. So, you know, there are kind of times when uh, we'll find out, um, for example, we, we see that uh, John's family uh, is, is revealed a little bit more. Uh, Kyle's older brother, Derek Reese, shows up. And um, while he doesn't learn that they're related, we get to see a little bit from his point of view and what happened to him in the future uh, before he's sent back as well. So um, I haven't seen every episode of the series, but what I have seen is amazing. I, I do really do want to finish it, but uh, the writing was really sharp. The acting was, was great on all levels. The whole cast clicked. Um, it was consistent with the original two movies while showing new angles. Um, you know, it, it was consistent and it showed real love to James Cameron. And I will say the pilot feels like it could have been a Terminator film in its own right. It was that good. <laughs> well, it does sound like a pretty good series. Uh, I missed it, though. I was uh, I was in a band while that show was on and I was recording albums and playing gigs and stuff. I basically didn't have a whole lot of time for TV, but I'm definitely going to look for that to come out on streaming channels so I can watch it. Uh, definitely you should. Um, you should be able to find it. I'm not exactly sure where it's streaming, but I know it is available on Amazon to buy it um, or to rent it. Um, it does come on regularly on sales there, but I'm, I, I, I can't imagine that it's got to be on some streaming services, though. So uh, I would say look out for it. Um, but I think I will kind of from there, we'll kind of get back into the uh, next phase, which is Terminator Salvation. Uh, I will say this movie was better than I had expected that it was going to be. I didn't see it for a long time, but I did finally see it. Um, and, and I will say it, it is worth seeing. It probably is the best of the post-Terminator 2 films. Um, so by the time the rights had passed to Halcyon Pictures uh, from uh, the former co-producers Kessar and Vajna, um, the screenwriter are exactly the same as those on Terminator 3. So this is why you get a sense of continuity between the two films. Uh, this is why uh, Kate Brewster comes back, uh, for example. Uh, so you can look at Salvation as a direct sequel to T3 in that timeline, and it completely clicks. Um, 
This movie future focuses on the future war, and it's the only Terminator film to date that focuses mainly on the future war. Um, and it, in, in practice, I would say it's a post-apocalyptic uh, war film in practice. So, you know, think like Mad Max by way of aliens, and, and you get, you know, something kind of like what this is. Um, the director of this film uh, is a guy named McGee. Um, I, I don't know if you've ever heard of him, but um, he's mainly known for being a producer on Supernatural. If you're a Supernatural fan, you probably will, will have seen his name in the credits at least a couple times. Um, that's but, the place I've heard of him from. Yeah, yeah. So this film is probably the main film you probably will have heard of him from. It's the, it's the one he is probably best known for. But even if the director is not well known, the cast is awesome. Like, really, really first-rate people. Uh, it, it includes Christian Bale. Yes, the Dark Knight Christian Bale. Uh, Sam Worthington, who was already getting pretty hot, uh, I think because of Avatar by that time. Um, Michael yeah. Ironside, uh, that guy you gotta love. Anton Yelkin in his pre-Star uh, Trek days, the guy who played Chekhov. So, yeah, he plays Kyle Reese. Um, Bryce Dallas Howard uh, ends up uh, taking over the Kate role and uh, you get briefly get uh, Helena Bonham Carter. So this was a, a, a very first rate cast and, and somebody named Moon Bloodgold, who was uh, a major uh, love interest character. Um, now, Helena Bonham Carter only filmed for four days in a small role, and she only did it because Tim Burton, who she was with at the time, was a big Terminator fan, and he kind of encouraged her to do it. So she was like, okay, I'll go ahead and do it, honey. So she went and did that. Um, but yeah, she's not really in it for very long, maybe like a few minutes early on and then a little bit later. Um, and But the main stars, and, and I would say the main characters, are uh, Christian Bale as John Connor and Sam Worthington as Marcus, who is the first human-Terminator hybrid. Um, Human-Terminator hybrids do come up later, but uh, Worthington was the first, so uh, you got to give him credit for, for that. Um, interesting fact, uh, Christian Bale was originally going to be Marcus, but Bale said, no, I want to be John Connor. He fought for the role, uh, and, he, and, and he got it. Uh, and I have to say, I think this was the right move because uh, Bale's charisma makes him really believable as John Connor. You can definitely see that this is a guy men would follow. Um, and he absolutely, completely sells the role. Um, unfortunately, he did get into a controversy that was pretty well known. Um, he's a bit infamous because he was recorded making an angry rant at the director of photography because the guy walked in on the set during a scene, um, and, and, and it made, a and it made, uh, like all the gossip news and, and everything else. I totally remember hearing that recording, uh, while Bale, and, and I'm going to say that while Bale was a bit of a jerk, uh, I do see his point. Um, in fact, Patrick Stewart made a similar rant about people walking onto a set during his performance on The Next Generation. Uh, the actor needs to immerse themselves in a scene, and random people walking onto the set can totally take you out of character. Yeah, I have to agree. And, and, and I know Tom Cruise did something recently uh, with his tirade um, about his film as well because of the COVID thing. Uh, so and, and just like that, I would say the reason for the anger is entirely valid and you can't blame these people for being mad in these situations. But I, I kind of wonder, like, I, I do think that the way that they handled it could have been a lot better and maybe more professional. Um, I, I have honestly thinking about it, I really wonder if actors get the same kind of angers that sometimes writers do uh, when they're distracted and taking out of a scene and that maybe that contributes to it. Um, I don't think that excuses or justifies anything necessarily, but but it makes it at least a little bit understandable. Um, 
Beyond that, I, I would say that Salvation is the strongest story of the post-T2 films. Um, it focuses on the post-apocalyptic future, um, how hard life is on humans after Judgment Day. We really don't get to see, you know, uh, the, the down-on-the-street view of what actual humans deal with in the future. And this movie shows you that. Um, and it's really, really interesting. Um, we get to see that, you know, not every human is with the resistance. It's not a, a monolithic block of people. Uh, there are different factions. Uh, there are just people trying to survive. There are people just out for themselves. I mean, there are gangs, you know, preying on people, you know, just to get resources. Um, so I would say all in all, it's kind of like a Mad Max style film and partly it's a future war film, but it blends it together seamlessly and it works. Um, and, and I think some of it also is because uh, Bale as John Connor is such a, uh, comes across so well. I mean, he comes across as a strong, um, mature and honorable leader. Uh, he's looking out for the human race very well. Um, the performance is really good. Um, and this is definitely in contrast to uh, General Ashdown, uh, played by Ironside, who is a different kind of leader. He's just the guy out for victory at any cost, including uh, the loss of human life. And he's willing to sacrifice anything to win. Uh, so because of that contrast, Connor looks more heroic, and I really, really love that. Um, and he also questions himself. He questions whether he should even exist. Um, he questions whether it's necessary to send his father back in time um, and whether he should complete the time loop, whether the world would be better without him. Um, he ultimately does decide to, to fulfill uh, the prophecy, but um, in the end, you know, um, he does question this. And I think the act of questioning it you know, shows some some vulnerability in him. And I, I really, really like that. Um, and also, young Kyle Reese is great. Um, he just, he comes across as as basically Michael Bean as a kid. And Yelkin um, seems to really have a knack for playing younger versions of, of popular characters because he insisted on playing Kyle Reese the way that Michael Bean did, and it really, really worked. You can definitely see that in his performance. He looks like a young Reese. Um, and the future is really, really well fleshed out. Um, the world is believable. Um, everything is really, really good. Now, there are a few things that kind of, you know, nagged a little about it, but it's not a whole lot of stuff. Um, I, I do think the look of the future war and salvation doesn't really resemble what we've seen in the previous flashbacks. I mean, you don't really get to see like the dark uh, skies and you don't get to see like the purple energy beams and, you know, all things like that. It, it, it looks very, very different. It looks more like a, a, a regular war movie with a normal sky. Uh, you get to see, you don't get to see the futuristic aircraft. You get to see like um, warthogs, <laughs> warthog planes in the air and things like this. And and, and I guess it kind of makes sense in a sense, but, you know, it, it is one of those things that kind of disappoints you because you want to see it the way that Cameron envisioned it and you don't really, um, but it's not a big deal. Um, there are a couple of small potholes, um, there, or at least things that kind of nagged a little at me. Um, like, for one, uh, the Terminators chase Marcus just because he puts on car music. And it's like, this is a post-apocalyptic future. Why are there radio stations? There shouldn't be any radio stations. I guess I, I, uh, I always took that as like, you know, you've had, you, you got a car. You got a tape or a CD or something in the player. You know, you turn on the car, it starts playing. I guess that's always what I thought it was. Yeah, I, I wondered about that, too, but it was a really old model of truck. I mean, they like to use for these movies these really old models that look good in post-apocalyptic movies that look badass. But the problem is, is when you get those older cars, it's like they shouldn't have 
radio player. I mean, they shouldn't have uh, tape cassette players or CD players unless they were installed with it. I mean, I guess it's mildly possible, but I, I didn't remember seeing that when I saw the movie last. Uh, I don't know. It just it's just one of those things that's kind of a nitpick. But you know, it's not a big deal. It's just too, it's just one of those things I kind of watch and I'm like, hey, that took me out of the film for about half a second. But it's not a big deal. Um, Sometimes the threats seem a little more overstated. Like, there are huge mechs, massive Terminator mechs. We never saw anything like that in the earlier films. It, you know, we shouldn't necessarily be seeing, like, Transformer-sized robots. Um, it's cool. It looks great. But why are they there? Uh, I don't know. Um, it seemed like all the Terminators were human-sized before, but, yeah, whatever. Um, there are characters that don't seem to add, add a whole lot. Um, there, there's a little girl who's with Kyle Reese and... You know, it's like, okay, she's cute, but why is she there? I, I don't know. Um, and then there was a romance uh, with Marcus and, and the Blair character played by Moon Bloodgold. And I just never feel like that really clicked to me. It seemed like they wanted it in there just because the Terminator film had to have a romance in it. Um, I don't know why you had Bale and you had uh, Kate there. You could just focus on that. Uh, I don't know why that was there. But overall, I really like this movie. I, I mean, you know, yeah, you can nitpick it quite a bit, but it's a lot of fun. It, it, it is actually an enjoyable take on the future war, and I liked it. You know, can't complain. It was, as you said, the best sequel post-T2. Uh, but as I mentioned before, it didn't have that Cameron flair that I think really makes a Terminator movie. But uh, Bale was a great John Connor, very believable. Okay. Yeah, I, I really miss him as John Connor. Um, and from here, uh, we get to move on to Terminator Genesis, uh, which came out in 2015. Um, now, I will say that um, I, I don't hate the title, but it's just one of those things that I kind of laugh at a little bit because it kind of comes across as because poor literacy is cool, uh, to quote uh, Linkara of Atop the Fourth Wall. Well, I let me pose a different theory about the name. Uh Genesis was a software system that connected everything to the internet, right? So uh, the ending spelling of the name being I-S-Y-S, uh, like, you know, iPad or iPhone, is actually quite clever, I think. Yeah, I, I, that probably was where they were trying to go with it. I mean, I don't really have a problem if they try to justify it. It's just one of those things where, at first glance, it looks like, you, you know, it's kind of funny. But, you know, if there's a reason for it and it's in the story and it makes sense, yeah, that's fine. Um, now, I will say that this is another situation where a new company took over the rights. This is a ongoing theme with Terminator. It seems like every new movie, there's a new company doing it and new people behind it. And this time it was Megan Ellison and David Ellison and Annapurna Pictures. And they got the rights to it uh, in 2011 after Halcyon went bankrupt. These companies that own Terminator just go bankrupt. I don't know. There's a curse. I have no idea why. <laughs> Um, Arnold comes back as the T-800, though, um, this time uh, with uh, Jai Courtney, who kind of reminds me of like a low-budget uh, Channing Tatum for some reason. I don't know why I, I get that impression with him. Um, Emilia Clark, uh, another uh, Game of Thrones character uh, as Sarah Connor. It seems like, you know, Game of Thrones women seem to love this role. Um, uh -huh. Jason Clark, uh, no relation to Emilia. Uh, and J.K. Simmons, um, a.k.a. J. Jonah Jameson. And uh, Matt Smith, uh, the 11th Doctor. Um, and I will say, I'm a huge fan of Matt Smith, so it was really interesting to see him in this movie. Um, 
But overall, uh, there, there are a lot of good things about this movie, and it did do really well. But I kind of have a little bit of mixed feelings about it. Um, I thought it was all right at the time. Uh, there's just kind of things I have a little bit of, of nagging doubts about, but it, it's okay. Um, it works with the premise of, of the original Terminator. Uh, it, it's really You can really kind of tell that they were trying to go back to basics with a twist. Um, and, and so, you know, you have Kyle Reese going back in time to save Sarah, um, but then it tries to subvert expectations, and um, subverting expectations can either work really well or it can go really awry. Um, and and it tries to do that on a number of different levels with the timeline. So, uh, for instance, uh, Sarah is instead of being attacked when she's a waitress, she's attacked uh, much earlier where she's a young girl, and she is saved by the T eight hundred plays by Arnold, and then he raises and trains her. Um, so I, I can see what they're trying to go with her. Like they, they want her to be this badass character, but it just ends up making her the hardened fighter from T2 earlier. And it jumps over all of the past character development that she earned in T1. And I think that that's kind of a shame. Um, and in addition, it kind of makes Reese pointless because it's like, okay, Sarah already has a protector. She has the T-800. And she's, at this point, she doesn't even need one because she's killing all the Terminators herself. So, uh, yeah, it, it, I kind of had a problem with those things. I, I got to agree with you there. Um, you know, as I mentioned before, Sarah's journey is why I love the character. Uh, so, I, I mean, to take that away from her or change it uh, is frustrating, to say the least. Yeah. And, and she was not the only character they changed. Um, the big twist of the movie, the big subversion, is that John Connor had his mind corrupted by Skynet and they made him the villain of the movie. I was just like, really? <laughs> Did you have to do that? I just felt like the character deserved better. I was just not a fan of that. But mm. um, This also kind of starts a trend of diminishing John's character and role in the series from the hero he was in the last three movies and uh, Sarah Connor Chronicles. So, I mean, he was built up, like, in four films, even if he wasn't in the original. And and it's just like, okay. So now we're going to go completely the other way and say, yeah, this guy's the villain. He's not the one that's saving humanity. You were wrong. Um, I, I, I get the, I guess I see the need to shake up the, the Terminator formula to go back to basics. Um, but I, I just kind of felt like it wasn't the best way to go with it. But I will say, the movie does have some good points. Uh, there, there are definitely things to like. Um, I like that the movie gives a valid explanation for why Arnold is older in the movie. Um, he's, because he's sent back in time earlier, he, uh, his organic parts age. Um, okay, I can, I can totally buy that. That, that, that makes sense to me. Um, I, I will say I did like Amelia Clark as Sarah. Uh, she was fine. Um, perfectly respectable casting choice. If you had to recast her, if you had to go back uh, and do a younger Sarah, I mean, I think Amelia Clark's a good actress, and she did okay. She just has, has this bad habit of ending up in these pop culture movies at, that she ends up getting uh, uh, fire for for some reason. I mean, between this and Solo and I think a couple of other things. So, uh, But I, I do like Amelia Clark a lot. Um, the, the CGAI had some ways to go with the deep fakes, um, but I think they did an okay job with the younger looking T-800. I mean, they did um, in the whole scene where with the other T-800, the, the one that is trying to kill uh, Sarah, they did a, do a good job with that one, with the, with the effects in that. And it led to better, uh, similar effects later. So uh, if you look at like The Mandalorian, I think it definitely uh, learned from, the, from films like this and, and, and from Rogue One as well. Um, the, the action is decently well done. I, I think it looks good on screen. I think that there's more of a blockbuster uh, feel to it. Um, a little bit more of the Cameron feel 
uh, with that, and and I think I, I thought that was fine. And and as a Doctor Who fan, I will say I love seeing Matt Smith in different roles, and he was good as Sinet. I mean, he's a great actor. He's he's not in it much, and you know he's only really in it towards the end and a little bit towards the beginning. But my God, I love seeing this guy. Uh, just just amazing amazing actor, and I love seeing him. Um, and, but I would say overall, it was kind of a mixed bag. Uh, it did make its money. I mean, it was the second highest grossing Terminator film. It is one of the highest grossing films Arnold ever did. So, I mean, you can't say it was a failure, but at the same time, uh, it, it, it is a bit lacking, but eh, it is what it is. As reboots go, as reboots, reboots go, I thought this one was done well. And, um, I liked the movie about, aside from, you know, what we mentioned about Sarah, um, I didn't have a problem with making John the villain. I often wonder what kind of decisions I might make if I was to write a, a new script that was supposed to shake things up. You know, I can see myself doing that with John's character. Uh, that's fair enough. I could actually see a way that that could work. Maybe not with Sina corrupting him and, and him going that way, but I could definitely see him guy kind of like going uh, General Ripper, uh, like like becoming the monster that he's trying to destroy. Uh, that would actually be a very interesting movie, I think. But yeah, it is what it is, and they made the movie that they made, and you can't really do anything about it now. Um, but another movie that I think we both agree was really bad, uh, Terminator Dark Fate. Uh, it was fated to be bad, unfortunately, and, and there are just a lot of problems with this movie. Um, another rights change, yes, uh, led to Lightstorm and Tencent, a Chinese company that joined as a co-financer, uh, ended up producing this movie, and my God, uh, did it, it did it not go well. Um, they brought in Tim Miller, who was the director on Deadpool. And I will say, I liked him on Deadpool. The, you know, it's not that he can't make good movies. It's just that right in this particular movie, uh, nothing went right. So he was attached to direct and write it. Um, Cameron did return, and he was involved on a creative level, but um, that led to problems. And there were too many cooks in the broth, for sure, with this. Um, because there is a definite um, written-by-committee feel about it, not just with that, but also with all the writers that were involved in the process. Let me go down the list like of all the writers that were involved in the script. Uh, David Goyer, yeah, the guy that wrote Blade in the Dark Knight and uh, I believe Man of Steel. Um, Charles Egley, uh, Josh Friedman, who created the Sarah Connor Chronicles. Yes, oh my God, please, no, Josh Friedman. Uh, why did you do this movie? Um, Justin Rhodes and Billy Ray, in addition to uh, Cameron and Tim Miller's own involvement in the story direction. And even before that, there were other writers consulted. Some of you, you may know, especially if you are a science fiction fan, uh, you might know as a comics fan, Warren Ellis. Yes, Warren Ellis wow. was consulted about this movie. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, that 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 is really sad. I real I love Planetary. Uh, Neil Stevenson, um, Greg Bear, uh, Neil Asher, and Joe Abercrombie. So yeah, there were definite people that they brought into the early process, but um, unfortunately, this movie did not work out, and there were just too many cooks in the broth. And in addition, uh, Cameron and Miller had major disagreements around the direction of the film. They could not even agree about whether the humans were losing the war or not. That is how bad it was. Cameron actually said that Miller consistently ignored his advice and recommendations. Like, Miller just wanted to do his own thing and didn't care what the creator thought about it at all. Uh, that, that did seem likely. I, I just feel like this movie goes so far from, uh, from what Cameron's original vision was for Terminator that I have a hard time believing that Cameron came up with it. Uh, so I think that that is quite plausible. I, I just, just cannot imagine Cameron turning a torch 
to so much of what he built the way that this movie does. It, it really is a shame. Um, the one thing everybody can't agree on was that only Terminators 1 and 2 would count uh, again. And uh, Terminator and Dark Fate would be a new timeline. And, and it is for the best because it is a timeline that we can ignore. Um, the actual story involves John Connor being killed after Terminator 2 in this version. Uh, so they brought Edward Furlong back to do a deep fake just to have him shot by a T-800 played by Arnold uh, using de-aging technology. Uh, so this leads a grieving and angry Sarah to hunt Terminators for the rest of her life. I hated this. The minute that I heard about this, I refused to see the movie. It was just that bad to me. Um, he dies within four minutes, also fuels Sarah's motivation and set up by a, a, a new chosen one in his place. I mean, if it was a female character that this happened to, they would accuse him of fridging. It was that bad. It was not a fitting end to John's story in any way. Um, he does not get the heroic end that he deserves. And on top of that, it just makes all the struggles and sacrifices of the previous films meaningless because not only do they fail to save John, but it turns out that he's not even important anyway. And it was just this other girl that, that is the real chosen one. I mean, and I'm not saying that you can't kill him. I'm not, there are definitely ways that you could have killed him, especially in the future war. Um, you know, if you killed off the Bale version uh, in a way that was satisfying, that would have been great. But he just deserves a better death than this. I I hated this too, uh, and it felt to me like it was just trying to fit the the trend at the time of rebooting everything with all female characters instead. Uh, I and, and I didn't think it did it very well. Um, this is as you mentioned because it rejected what came before. Uh, it, it just a huge letdown all around. Yeah, you got to respect the source material, and this didn't. So um, we get to see the ways in which this happens. So this is now a new timeline. Uh, there's a new uh, chosen one um, by the name of Danny Ramos, uh, played by Natalia Reyes, and I'm sure she was fine in the role. Uh, it's just unfortunately she was in this movie. Um, and there's also a new protector, uh, Grace, uh, you know, played by Mackenzie Davis, who's an enhanced uh, super soldier from 2042. So yeah, now the, the the timeline keeps being stretched back and stretched back. It's 2042 now. Um, um, the Arnold T-800 uh, settles down <laughs> with a with a with a woman and calls himself Carl, and then he ends up joining the group later. I'm like, okay, that's that's fine. And I and I've heard that Arnold is one of the better spots of this movie, um, you know, for all of its problems. But you know, of course he would be. I mean, he's Arnold. Arnold's going to be Arnold, and you, you got to love the guy. Um, the Terminator for this movie, though, is played by uh, Gabriel Luna. Um, who is best known as uh, Cassian Andor from Rogue One and the upcoming Andor series, um, who plays uh, a being a, a, a robot called the Rev-9. Um, but, you know, really in the end, the formula is pretty much the same from T2 from everything that I've been able to see, uh, just names and roles and characters changed. Um, I just don't feel like I missed much, and I really don't feel like seeing it. You know what? You, you didn't. In my opinion, if you're looking for a Terminator movie to skip, that's the one. Uh, I hate the film, uh, but I will give it this. Some of the action and special effects in it were pretty cool. Oh, yeah. I, I will say Tim Miller is a good action director. I mean, you can't take that away from him. So, yeah, I'm sure that was probably the case. Um, now, I will give some larger thoughts uh, now that we kind of talked about it uh, and just kind of look at the series a little bit at the whole. Um, personally, and this is just personally, I don't really don't regard anything after Terminator 2 as having officially happened in a canon sense. Um, I do have personal preferences. I mean, I prefer Sarah Connor Chronicles. I really like uh, uh, Salvation. But I, I just feel like in terms of a canon ending, I don't think that there is one. I can definitely see why you think that. 
Uh, Cameron is the gold in Terminator, and without him, it'll always be less than. Though the only movie I disregard is Dark Fate. In my mind, I've consolidated the other five films that preceded it. Um, that's totally cool. I can see why you would have. Uh, I, I kind of look at all of them as kind of like possible outcomes. Um, I, I think the T2 alternate ending is up there as well. So, you know, that's one possible thing that happened, you know, and then you have uh, the T3 and Salvation timeline. You have the Sarah Connor Chronicles timeline and you have the Genesis timeline and then you have the Dark Fate timeline and you can pick and choose what you like. Um, I, I actually think that because time has been mucked with so much because of all the time travel, I mean, it's also possible the story is always revising itself, you know, just because of all the, the, the muckery with time. Just so basically pick your favorite ending. It's, you know, like choose your own adventure. It's all equally valid and yeah, not a problem as however you want to see it. Um, and I think that a lot of the reason for this is just because the series has been rebooted so many times. Um, and, and so, you know, OK, if you like this reboot, pick this one. If you don't like it, you know, you can ignore that it happened and that's fine. Um, but the other reason that I think that this series has struggled over time is because um, this, this this series revolves so much around Limel Hamilton and Arnold Schwarzenegger, and they really have noticeably aged. And, and, and you know, and, and some of them, and they've managed to, I think, hold up okay. They've aged very gracefully. Um, you know, there's certainly nothing wrong with that. It happens to us all. But um, you can definitely tell that they can't play the roles the way they used to be able to play them, and it's unfortunately very noticeable. Um, and it tends to be a problem, especially with Arnold, because he's supposed to be playing a robot, uh, a T-800, and he shouldn't be that much noticeably older, but... I will give Genesis credit for for giving a good explanation for why they for why he's aged. Uh, but it's just that from now on, if they're going to bring him back, Arnold, that's what just what they're going to have to do: find storytelling explanations for why he's older. Um, and and the other angle is that Terminator is very centered around time travel and changing history. So you know which version of events do you choose? Um, it's it's just whichever you like. Um, I will say that for myself, uh, Sarah Connor Chronicles handled the franchise the best for me since Cameron stepped back. It feels most like his work. Um, and I think it built very well on what he set up. But I, I really have come to love Terminator Salvation. And a lot of it is I'm a Christian Bale fan. And, you know, you can't, uh, for, all of, for all of his flaws. And, and, you know, as John Connor, he was amazing. Um, but in the end, I will say, Cameron gives the series a clean air ending with Tune 2. And so everything else seems like uh, an effort to kind of drag it out uh, to make money from it. And, and I'm not saying that's always the case. I don't think like Sarah Connor Chronicles was all about the money, for example. But it does feel like that just because, you know, it had an ending and then they had to continue it. It's true. You can see why Cameron said he told the story he wanted to tell with T2. Yeah, I would say very much so. Um, but I will say that's not the only uh, way that the story has been continued. Um, there have definitely been comics, uh, video games, and uh, other things and, that we've uh, we've seen from them. Um, and, and I don't think we can be comprehensive because otherwise we're going to be here all day. But um, I think we can hit uh, some highlights for that. So like in comics, uh, Terminator projects have been done by a lot of different companies, quite a few, um, including Marvel, uh, Dynamite, uh, IDW, uh, Now, and Malibu, which uh, at one time um, was eventually bought out by Marvel, but the majority of them have been done by uh, Dark Horse. And I would say uh, a number of the comics have, that have been released have been film tie-ins. Um, you know, not necessarily all of them. There have been some that weren't, but uh, a number of them were uh, definitely tie-ins. I read the Terminator series Tempest by Dark Horse. 
and it was it was pretty good uh elements of it like uh the resistance soldiers going after cyberdyne's employees like uh sarah did in t2 with miles dyson uh one thing the Terminators did that I thought was quite clever was, you know how uh, uh, you, nothing metallic can go through the, the time uh, machine. Right. So uh, the, but the, when the Terminators went through, they brought a human with them, and they actually just uh, they cut him open and put a, uh, a, a futuristic gun uh, from their time inside his torso. And when they went through the time machine, they just ripped it back out. Oh my God, that that is pretty horrific. I really that really is a great image. Um, I never read that particular comic, but it sounds like they did some really cool stuff with the idea, and I can't really complain about that. Um, and then beyond that, there were crossovers. There were a number of them. Um, there was a Superman uh, crossover, and then there was one uh, with Aliens and Predator. But the one that I've read and that I'm most familiar with and that I really love was RoboCop versus Terminator in 1992. Um, and I think this was probably the most successful one. Um, and, and there were two different projects associated with this, um, a comic book and a, a video game for the Super Nintendo. Um, the comic uh, was written by two people that most comics fans will know and appreciate, Frank Miller and Walt Simonson. Um, and this was when Frank Miller was still pretty vibrant. I mean, this was, I think this was before Sin City and 300. So, you know, this was a time when he was doing a lot of stuff uh, for Dark Horse. Um, and he had done some uh, RoboCop uh, sequel uh, script. So, you know, this was a guy who knew RoboCop pretty well. And, and I think he did a pretty good job with this. Um, and Walt Simonson always, always delivers the goods. Uh, that, that guy is amazing. Um, the video game was all right. Like, you, you play as RoboCop. It's a side-scrolling action game. I, I did play this game, and it, it, it's perfectly perfectly fine. Um, you just, you're just playing RoboCop as he's killing Terminators through these different levels, but it does follow uh, the comic book storyline, which I appreciated. Um, uh, beyond that, um, the, the rights for the Terminator in terms of video games, um, there were, the first one was in 1990, like a couple of years before that. Um, and it was made for DOS by Bethesda Softworks, uh, who would go on to do a number of very early Terminator projects as well for the uh, Nintendo and the Super Nintendo. Um, if you know the name Bethesda Softworks, uh, it's probably because you have, are aware of the Elder Scrolls series, uh, the Fallout series, and like things like Wolfenstein and Doom. So if you know, if you know those remakes, uh, that's Bethesda. Uh, so, and I really feel like there was such a missed opportunity because if they had kept the rights, uh, we could have gotten a video game with the Terminator done in the style of like a Fallout New Vegas, uh, a Skyrim, or a Doom Eternal, and that would have been amazing. Those guys do first-person shooters like nobody's business, and, and it would have been a great game if uh, they had kept the rights long enough. But they didn't. They lost the rights before uh, they were known. They made the best the games that they are the best known for, and that sucks. But uh, but it, really, the idea of a, a Bethesda uh, game with the Terminator is just one of those things that is still uh, one of the things I really regret. Um, but there were video game tie-ins that were made of every film in the series. Um, but the problem is, is that they suffered from the license game curse, um, which the, a lot of these kinds of games tend to be bad or mediocre, um, and none of these were that notable. I think uh, it wasn't even until Terminator 3 that Arnold really became a part of the games. So, yeah, it, it's kind of unfortunate. But not every Terminator game was bad. Um, th there's one that came out in 2019 that I do recommend that's pretty solid, and it's called Terminator Resistance. 
which is an action RPG slash first-person shooter hybrid that takes place in the future war. Uh, you're playing an entirely new character. Uh, you're playing a resistance fighter, and you're just kind of going through uh, the war trying to survive and helping others to, uh, other humans to survive. And it's really, really good. Um, it's quite faithful. Uh, it's consistent to the future war that's seen in the films. Visually, it looks like uh, what we saw in T1 and T2, which Salvation couldn't do it, but this game did. Um, and, and I will say, it should not have been this good. Uh, this studio, up to this point, had made some pretty notable failures, like Rambo the Video Game, uh, which was a, uh, a licensed game that they did, which was kind of like a button mashy uh, thing where Rambo uh, just uh, doesn't really sound quite right. You can definitely tell that they used footage from the movie uh, to fit it in, and it didn't splice right, things like that. So, but um, but Resistance was much, much better. They definitely learned from their previous mistakes, and the shooting is really good. Um, the character interactions are really enjoyable. Um, you, you get plenty of really good stuff in that. Um, and, and also recently, uh, if you're a fan of Mortal Kombat, uh, if you, Mortal Kombat 11 features the T-800, um, and he looks like the Arnold character, and he sounds like the Arnold character. Really, really, really well done that they, that they did with that. Um, and he appeared, a number of characters appeared in MK11, uh, including Rambo <laughs> as well. So Rambo shows up twice in, in a Terminator connection. Uh, the Joker and the T-800. And uh, the Tree 800 is very faithfully handled in MK11. Uh, his attacks are very good, his voice work, and he's fully playable. Um, he's very recognizable as the Arnold character. So hats off to uh, NetherRealms for doing that. They did a great job with him. Well, folks, that about covers uh, Terminator. Uh, I think we talked about everything Terminator 1 can talk about. Uh, thank you for hanging out with us and celebrating Judgment Day. Thank you for listening to the Omen Comics podcast. This has been Steve Sellers and Michael Nunnally here with Omen Comics. And uh, we encourage you to look into all our Omenverse titles, wherever they might be sold, including Comixology, Amazon, uh, Draw Me in Comics, and elsewhere. Uh, if you like our content, please like, subscribe, hit the magic bell for notifications. And until next time, we'll see you in the Omenverse. I hope you've had fun hanging out with us today on ORP. I know that Steve and I have had fun making this episode. If you've had fun too, we invite you to share this episode and help us get the word out. For our Spotify listeners, we ask you to please rate our show as well. That can really help to grow our audience. But to all our listeners everywhere, we want to say thank you for listening and we'll see you in two weeks.